0: This morning, we're beginning a new series uh, in our Sunday morning worship. It's a series called Our God, and we're going to look at the different roles that our Heavenly Father plays in our life, the different ways we interact with Him. Now, we don't want to uh, compartmentalize God in any way or, or try to limit Him into certain categories. We know that God is in all and through all, and we interact with Him in a variety of ways, but there are specific roles we see in Scripture that God plays in our life. And uh, we interact with him in those ways, and those ways are meaningful to understanding our journey in this life and this Christian walk that we are on and how he provides for us and how he watches over us. There's many ways that God is described in Scripture and many examples that we find of how he interacts with people. God is a protector. God is um, a father God is a navigator, God is uh, a creator, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we begin this series, uh, God our creator. Now, we know that God was present in the beginning. We know that the first words of all of our scripture are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and we, we read that the earth was formless and void. And when we think of God the creator, that's probably what we think of is the creation story, the creation account, God creating this world out of nothing and making something. And that certainly is a beautiful, beautiful story. Because the way he interacts with us as a creator, if you look at that account, is very different from the way he interacts with the rest of his creation. Isn't it amazing that God is in his very nature a creator? And when he made us, he put into us some of his traits. We are naturally born to create and to build and to explore. And to find new things and new discoveries. I mean, you look at small children, toddlers. They reach a certain age where they're crawling around, stumbling around. And what do they do every time they pick something up? They stick it directly in their mouth. We've got to learn more about it. We need more information. We want to grow. We want to learn. We want to explore. And we want to create. We have a creative desire within us. And I believe that comes from God. That comes from our creator. When you look at the... The creation story, you see that God is very compassionate in His creation because He built for us a beautiful world to live in. This is a wonderful world and an amazing world. And He created things that work very well, Uh, even though we we no longer dwell in the garden as He intended. uh, And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But even though we don't dwell in that paradise that He built, He did still create a world that is beautiful for us, that is full of wonder and amazement. And, and in which things operate in such a way so as to sustain us. Uh, you you can, you know, it's amazing to me, and there's so much talk these days about medical science and, and how we discover things and study and research things and, de- and make determinations and conclusions. The things that we're discovering today are not brand new. They've always existed. We're just now reaching the point where we are capable of exploring and creating and finding the things that God has left for us to discover. You know, when we create vaccines, which is a hot topic now, when we create therapeutic drugs that do amazing things, those things have always existed. They've always been there since God spoke this world into existence. We're just now finding it. I love to think that God created a beautiful world for us to live in, and he left for us things to discover and things to learn and ways to grow because God himself is a creator and an explorer. Now, what's amazing about this is you imagine God. He's in the heavenly realm. He's sitting on his throne. He has angels all about him, serving him meeting his every need, <clears throat> and he decides, I'm going to create something new. Now, can you imagine why, why on earth would you want to do such a thing? Because that's who God is. He's a creator. And he said, I'm going to create this world. And, and when you read Genesis 1, you know, there was darkness, there was chaos, there was nothing, and then God spoke, and there was order, and there was light, and, and there was something, and so God, in his power and in his might, he created this world because he wished to have a new creation, but not just any creation, a very special creation. Part of the story of God, our creator, is the care with which he created each of us and what that means. He wanted to create a people that would be his very own. And you say, well, you know, he had the angels. He had others dwelling with him. We are different than that. We're different than the angels. Because we were put here and we were built and handcrafted in a very special way. Do you notice that when you read the creation account, Genesis 1 and 2? He speaks everything into existence except man. He handmade us. He handcrafted us from the dirt and from the rib. And he breathed into us the breath of life. He put a little bit of himself inside us. Even the angels don't have that. Even the angels lack that ability. And yet, we have this. But we also have something else that God created in us, a weakness, a shortcoming. We're not perfect. We're not complete. It always fascinated me when you read the, God, the, the creation account, you see that Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent for this fruit, and it was desirable and pleasurable to their eyes. Now, why was it desirable to their eyes? because they were created to desire it. I mean, they had to have been created hardwired with some understanding of what looked desirable. How do we, how do we learn what looks like it's good to eat? I mean, we don't. We just, we, we it looks good, we eat it, and then it's confirmed that it was good, so we keep eating. It's, it's part of how we're made. So why, why did God make them that way? Because in his creation... He said, I want to create something different and not just something that would love me and worship me, but something that has to choose to worship and love me. So I'm going to make them weak. I'm going to make them fallible. I'm going to make them make mistakes. Now, that you say, well, that seems unfair. What kind of God would do such a thing? No, it's not unfair. It's God creating us in order that we can see who he is. He wants a people that will glorify him and that will see what he is doing for them, that we will truly appreciate and understand him. If we are perfect, if we don't struggle at all, if Adam and Eve had no temptation to eat that fruit, well, then we're God, and we don't need the true God. We get to be our own God, but we don't have that ability. We fall short. We fall to temptation. We find these desires and and this pride and these things that trip us up, because God built it into us to want things that weren't good for us. He built it into us to not want the things that are good for us. Paul said that. He said, the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, I do. I really struggle. Even the Apostle Paul felt that his desires were countervailing to what God desired for him. It has been the struggle of mankind from the beginning because God, our creator, made us that way. And that would be unfair if it wasn't for the fact that he had the ability to answer the call of helplessness when when we have it. He had to put man in a position where we could make no mistake about the fact that we were hopeless and helpless without him. God created us. He created a beautiful place for us to live, a wonderful, magnificent world, and he instilled in us little bits and pieces of himself but he left this one hole. He left this one gap, this gap that would become increasingly apparent over our life until we cried out to him, and as, as Peter writes in his epistle, we cry out to God for a clean conscience. We, we, we admit that we have no power over this sin and this pain, and we cry out to God and we say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this any other way. That's the attitude that we see in David in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a beautiful psalm beginning to end, but I want to focus beginning in verse 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. There's a word used in Scripture. It's used over 50 times in the Old Testament, it's a Hebrew word, bara. Bara, if you were to transliterate it, it's B-A-R-A, bara in the Hebrew. It means create. Of the 50 some odd times that it's found in scripture, overwhelmingly, uh, like 45 or 46 of those times, it is translated as create or creation. The other times it's has other uses based on the context. But almost exclusively, this word means create. But also exclusively, the only time we see that word used is in reference to God. Now, think about that. According to the Hebrew Scripture, according to our Old Testament, the only thing, the only being, the only entity that truly creates anything is God. And those the speakers and the authors of, of these words... They only recognize creation as being something in God's hands, not in man's. And we say we're creative and we create things and we build things. Well, we really don't. All we do in this life is we reorder things. We just put them in a different order. We're like the guy that designs a Taco Bell menu. We find 16 different ways to mix meat, cheese, and lettuce together and call it something. But that's all we do. We're not creating. Milton Friedman, back in the 70s and 80s, who was a Nobel-winning economist, gave many lectures and and, and worked diligently in the education of young people on the basics of free market economics, used to give a, a, a talk in which he explained that no one person can make a pencil. No one person can put that thing together because it takes someone to harvest the wood, It takes someone to uh, pull the minerals out of the ground, the ore for the lead or the graphite uh, or the aluminum for the little, little grommet where the eraser is, or to manufacture the rubber or the paint, and then someone to put it all together and someone to sell it. No one person can create that. In the same way, we cannot create anything because everything that is has already been because of God. Nothing is here that wasn't here by his hand. We're just putting it in different order to build it. And the biblical writers understood this in the way they described what God did with Barah. He creates. He is the creator. So, to go back to our point, what is David asking for here? What is David acknowledging? What David is doing in verse 10 of chapter 51 in Psalms is the exact same thing that God had in mind when he made us. When he created man, he said, I'm going to make something brand new out of nothing. I'm going to create it because I want to have a relationship with it. I want to experience the choosing of me. I want to experience these beings choosing to have a relationship with me. And the way I'm going to make that happen is I'm going to build within them every destructive weakness that could throw them off course until they recognize that there is no other way to get through this life without me. God allowed us to be weak. Now, that, I don't, that don't mean to make that sound sinister. He built us to have the freedom to choose. He built us out of love. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. He, he created us as beings capable of love and beings worthy of love. Now, so it's not sinister to say he allowed us to have weakness or he built into us a hardwired desire for things that are not good for us. That's not sinister at all because what he was doing was allowing us to reach a point of helplessness and hopelessness and pain so that we would cry out and not cry out to someone who couldn't help or had no ability to save us, to cry out to the only one that can save us. God made us and said, there, I'm, I'm it. I'm the only thing that can help these people. I'm the only thing that can restore them. I'm the only thing that can protect and save them. Well, how will they know? How will they choose me? And God said, I'm going to give them a weakness. I'm going to make them imperfect. And then I'm going to love them anyway and show them by my love The power I possess. It wasn't sinister for God to make us with weakness. It was compassionate and it was loving and it was an opportunity to demonstrate those things. And that's why he did it. So back to David now in Psalm 51, he's crying out to God using this word that we see only referenced to God. And what he's acknowledging is that very fact God, I need something new. I need to be cleansed. I need to be forgiven. I need to be restored. Now, David, this is... Remember, Psalms is David's prayer journal. He wrote this in the midst of great scandal and heartache. He had been in an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. He had had a hand in essentially the murder of her husband to get him out of the way so he could have her. Um, There was an illegitimate pregnancy. There uh, was great scandal. And and worse of all, He felt himself separated from God. Now, when we feel ourselves in the depth of sin, what do we do? We say, Lord, help me to be stronger. Lord, give me faith. Lord, help me to make better decisions. Lord, it's always something to do with us, isn't it? We say, God, make us stronger. God, make me stronger. God, make me better. That's not what David says. David puts in no way his own ability into this passage. He simply says, create in me a clean heart. And remember, the word create in the Old Testament is only applied to God himself. What David is saying is, God, you are the only one who can make my heart clean. I need something new. I need a new heart. I need you to get rid of the bad things, this ugly brokenness, and I need you to restore me in a way that only you can. I can't do it. Uh, The prophets can't do it. My armies can't do it. The nation can't do it. No politician can do it. No piece of legislation can do it. No doctrine can do it. My obedience can't do it. Nothing can do this. The only thing David says that will will, uh, give him a clean heart, that will cleanse him and restore him, is God, the Creator. That's the only thing that can do it. I think we need to do a better job of acknowledging that. There's a reason that we talk about baptism as both a burial and a resurrection, but also a birth. Because in both cases, there is life. Life being restored, life being created, The restoration and the creation and the transformation all lies in the hands of God. There's nothing we do. And so when we say God is our creator, yes, we recognize the beautiful world he made and the life he gave to all creatures. But we also recognize that for all of time, he is the only thing that will ever create, truly create. And that includes a heart that is restored and redeemed and sanctified. To us. We ought to walk that way. We ought to recognize that. And that should change the way we live. It should. And if you have any need to restore yourself to that walk, to walk a straighter path, to be encouraged, restored, or to study deeper, something to remember, God also created an amazing thing amongst his people. And we call it ecclesia. That word doesn't mean a whole lot to us anymore. But if you haven't, I would encourage you to read this week's uh, bulletin article um, because I, I go into a little more detail about ecclesia. It's us, it's the people, it's the gathered called people who have a faith in Jesus Christ, what we sometimes call the church. That's another creation of God, one worthy of restoration and one that is designed to draw us closer to one another and closer to his word. And if you have any need for prayer or restoration, or to accept Jesus Christ in baptism and to walk in that newness of life, that cleanly created heart, then I encourage you to make that choice as Jonathan comes and leads us in song.